Um, our kids, this is uh, everyone's favorite day. It's pajama day. But whether you wore pajamas or normal clothing, um, if you are a child and you want to go back now with Miss Kristen, you may certainly do so. And as she is going back, um, let me say that I think it was a great weekend here. Friday night we had a wonderful concert here with uh, uh, the brothers and sisters from um, Mount Olivet Missionary Baptist Church. And so that was wonderful and a good women's gathering yesterday. And, and now we are here. And as I told the 9 o'clock, this is my least favorite Sunday of all year. Because, man, you guys are tired. Now, you look a little bit less tired than the 9 o'clock. Not much, but a little bit less tired than the 9 o'clock. And so what we decided to do today was that we are going to stare in the face of your slumber. And we are going to talk not about solitude or about meditation, but about celebration in the hopes that it would wake you up. Yeah, it didn't really work at the nine either, but it was a great attempt. So let's see how this works today. We are continuing in our series of building for God's kingdom. And so this morning, as we've kind of done a couple of Sundays, we're going to look again briefly here um, at the letter uh, of Revelation, the one that John wrote, just remembering this quickly as he was on the island of Patmos, and he's giving this vision of what is to come. And that's what John is describing here in chapter 19. So I invite you to hear these words. John says this, The 24 elders and the four animals fell to their knees and worshipped God on his throne, praising, Amen, yes, hallelujah. And from the throne came a shout, a command, Praise our God, all you his servants, all you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard the sound of massed choirs, the sound of a mighty cataract. Now let's just take a moment. Any of you know what this word cataract means? You were at the nine. I'm just kidding. Well done. It does. It means a waterfall. Now, I don't know why Eugene Peterson decided to use this, but there is. Does everyone know there's like a, there's like a big cataract falls and a small cataract falls somewhere? Right? So this is what this means. So cataract as in like a, a, a waterfall here. I just wanted to be clear since you guys, because I knew what you probably thought it was. It's mine. It's totally fine. All right. The sound of a mighty cataract. The sound of strong thunder. Hallelujah. The master reigns. Our God, the sovereign strong. Let us celebrate. Let us rejoice. Let us give him the glory. The marriage of the lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. She was given a bridal gown of bright and shining linen. And the linen is the righteousness of the saints. The angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He added, these are the true words of God. And sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we do gather together on this day. Yes, Lord, we know that we have received an hour less sleep. As we look outside, it is gray and somewhat somber. And we know that oftentimes it can be a reflection of where we may be. 
those who may be struggling, sometimes for reason known, reasons known, sometimes unknown. But we pray, Lord, that in the midst of this, that we will not forget who you are, what you have done, and that that would give us reason to be joyful and to celebrate. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. So this morning, we're going to look at a few different passages. I don't usually like doing that. I usually like just sticking to one. But um, I thought, you know what, let's, let's, let's look at a few this particular morning. Celebration is not something that we in the church necessarily talk about a lot. I'm not sure I've actually preached specifically on celebration before. Um, but I thought, well, let's do that. And, and the one in Revelation was the first one that came to my mind. In Revelation, you can see, again, remembering this is what is to come. And so Jesus is, or Jesus, John is looking out at the future kingdom of God. And he says that they're going to be hallelujahs, right? Which is a joyful word. So hallelujahs are going out. They're celebrating. There's going to be singing. And then, of course, it's so loud that what John says is that it's like a rushing waterfall. And if you've ever been underneath a massive waterfall, you know it is almost deafening, right? Or a clap of thunder. How weird was that yesterday to hear the thunder, right? Coming out of nowhere, right? But you know, sometimes maybe you've been right close to where lightning has, has, has struck and all of a sudden that thunder that just kind of, is, again, is like it's piercing to one's ear. And the joy and the celebration is going to be so great and it is going to be so loud that you can hardly even think. And John says, this is the way it's going to be. One day there is going to be all of this great celebration. And why? Well, John says in this particular case, the reason why they are celebrating is because of the fact that justice has finally come. We talked about justice a few weeks ago. And what John says is that at some point, finally, the justice of God and those who have been crying out for justice, those who have been struggling at long last, the justice of God is going to be there. And not only is there this great sense of justice, there is also in this celebration, we are invited to join in, right? It's why it says, let us celebrate, let us rejoice, let us give him glory. And so it is an invitation for all of us to join into this celebration. But it isn't, of course, the only time we see celebration in Scripture, Zephaniah, everyone's favorite minor prophet, right? Zephaniah. How many of you guys love? Great. Yeah. So Zephaniah. uh, Zephaniah. Now, the first couple of chapters of Zephaniah, you may not be uh, familiar with it. God is kind of, as oftentimes God works through these prophets, he's chastising his people and saying, you're not following me. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. But then in the third chapter, there's this kind of abrupt shift, a U-turn almost, and, and Zephaniah is looking out even further into the future, into the coming kingdom of God. And here's what Zephaniah says, again, using the message. It says, so sing, daughter Zion, raise the rafters, Israel. Daughter Jerusalem, be happy, celebrate. God has reversed his judgments against you and sent your enemies off chasing their tails. From now on, God is Israel's king in charge at the center. There's nothing to fear from evil ever again. Jerusalem will be told, don't be afraid. Dear Zion, don't despair. Your God is present among you. A strong warrior there to save you, happy to have you back. He'll calm you with his love and delight you with his songs. 
The accumulated sorrows of your exile will dissipate, and I, your God, will get rid of them for you. You've carried those burdens long enough. At the same time, I'll get rid of all those who have made your life miserable. We see this sense here again, this call to celebration. And why? Well, in this particular case, first of all, because of mercy of God. Sometimes it can feel like God is just a God of, of judgment and, and, and we can have fear over this. But what, what, what Zephaniah is saying is God is first and foremost a God of great mercy. And so we should celebrate that sense of the mercy of God. But not only that, he says we also celebrate because God is with us. Right, Because God is with us. Last week when we looked at Revelation, one of the things we said is that John said there's no temple. right? No more temple, which is the sense that God is clearly with us. We no longer have to say, where is God? But God is with us. And of course, we know that celebration. Do you remember when the angels spoke to the shepherds and they came and they were announcing the fact that Jesus was going to be born. And they said, which is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right, and how did the angels do it, you know? What did they do? Did they just kind of go up to the shepherds and just give them a little nudge, kind of maybe like you did to one of your children this morning? Hey, Jesus was born. Emmanuel, God with us. No! I got a couple of you on that one. No, what did he say? You know, they were all out there. There were multitudes of angels, right? And they were celebrating the reality that God is with us. And so there's this great celebration that we see. And Zephaniah is already predicting the sense that there's going to be this great celebration. Now, I want to take just a brief side note here. Maybe I shouldn't, but I just want to, because this is really, I found this a, a really intriguing part of this passage. Let's look again at the NRSV part of this one, just a little bit of this passage. Here it is. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. Do you hear what Zephaniah is saying? What Zephaniah is saying is that God rejoices over you. He sings over you. He celebrates the fact that you are his child and that you are in relationship with him. If you were raised like me, oftentimes it always felt like God was just simply always kind of angry and was waiting for me to do something wrong, right? I usually did, I gave him plenty of opportunity, and I was always certain that God was going to zap me in some way. And I love this reframe, if you will, or at least this reminder that when God looks at you, he rejoices and sings over you. And if you struggle with your understanding of this, then I would encourage you, take this passage, print it off, put it somewhere, and know this, that God sings over you. God celebrates you. Amen? I'm going to make you guys stay awake. Amen. But of course, this isn't the only place in Scripture, again, that we see God celebrating over God's people. There are these three parables in Luke 15. You're familiar with them, my guess is. In Luke 15, bam, 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 three parables. What are they? The first one is the story of the shepherd and the 99 sheep and the one who is lost. 
right? And so what does the shepherd do? As soon as he realizes that the one is lost, he runs after that one. He chases after that one, right? And he brings them back. Most of us know that. But what we sometimes forget or don't see is that that's not the end of the story. He didn't just bring them in, put them in his little pen and say, okay, good work. What does he do? The shepherd does what? He calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says, let's celebrate, right? Because the one who's lost, he has been found, right? And so let's celebrate this reality. The second parable, there's a woman. She has ten coins. She loses one of them. So she looks maniacally trying to find the last one. And when she finally finds it, she doesn't just kind of, you know, wipe her head and put it back in her wallet and then place it back in the drawer. What does she do? She calls together her friends and neighbors and she says, let's, let's celebrate. We found this lost coin. I found the coin. And then, of course, the most famous of those three parables is the story of the prodigal son. And you know this story, right? I mean, you got that little brat of a son, and what does he do? He, he basically says, I wish you were dead, and I want my inheritance. And he runs off, and he wastes it all, and then he, then he comes back finally. Right? But when he comes back, you know, the father doesn't just say, oh, I've kept the room just as you've left it, and here, come on. No, what does he also do? He puts on his ring, he gives him a robe, and then he kills the fatted calf. And then what does he do? And he says, hey, let's party, let's celebrate, right? And of course, the elder son comes back. And the elder son, I mean, it's so loud. He hears the dancing and the singing, and he's like, oh, really? This, uh, for this guy? Right? He's perturbed. And Jesus says, this is the way it is in heaven when the lost one is found. That in the heavens, they are celebrating when the lost is found. There is celebration. And I could continue on throughout Scripture of stories that talk about how God celebrates and our call. Now, here's the thing. Remember, throughout this series, this is what we've been talking about. That what we do with this when we think, oh, that's what the future kingdom is going to look like. There's going to be much celebration that we don't just say, well, won't that be nice? We'll just wait. But instead, that we are called to build for that kingdom. We know it's ultimately up to God, but there are practices, there are things that we can do to embody those things even now and to serve as witnesses to those around us of what the kingdom is going to look like. Which means, of course, that we need to be a people then who are not afraid to celebrate. But now here's the other thing. Which is, that it's very much like I, when I talked about worship with us a few weeks ago. Which is that I can stand up here and I could say, you know what, we should have worship that is moving, you know? That, that really kind of, that, that moves you, that, it, that, that, that there's some kind of passion behind it. But I can't just stand up here and just say, Worship! doesn't work like that. But neither can I do that with celebrate. I can't just kind of stand up here and be like, you know what, we should, yeah, let's celebrate and then expect that all of a sudden you guys are just going to start celebrating. Right? It would be fake. It wouldn't seem real. It would be lame, basically. And you can always tell a lame celebration. Right? But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we can't cultivate a practice that would then help us to long to celebrate more. Most of us think that celebration just either comes. You either, maybe you have that personality or maybe you don't. Or maybe things are going well so you celebrate, but if they're not, then you don't. And we, we, we kind of attach it to that. But we believe that 
that, 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 that celebrating can be cultivated. In fact, Richard Foster, who wrote the, the famous book, probably maybe you've read it, called The Celebration of Disciplines. And it's this, you know, all these kind of typical disciplines that you would think about, you know, prayer, meditation, uh, solitude, fasting, these kinds of things. But the very last one that he does is on celebration. And as, as Foster says, look, celebration is not going to fall from the skies. You can actually practice this kind of thing. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate celebration? How do we develop a spirit of joy and excitement over what God is doing? Well, one of the first ways is by looking at Philippians, right? One of the things that Philippians does is it says, and it says this, this passage where what Paul says is set your mind, right, on things, whatever it is that is honorable, whatever it is that is true, whatever is, ju- whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, in other words, this doesn't mean, let's be clear, that you should just act as if there's nothing bad going on in our world. We just got through Ash Wednesday. It's important for us to be honest about our struggles. But it does mean that we also need to be looking for things that are good and just and pure and gracious. And many of our perspectives or many of our inklings tend to be towards looking towards what is negative, towards what is missing, towards what is bad, right? I can remember... Uh, and this happened, this is how we remember these things. This is why parenting is very scary. I remember back when I was, I, must, I was 18 years old, so it's been a while. I mean, not, not that long, but I mean, it's been a while. And I got my first report card. Remember when you actually got like, like paper report cards after my first semester at college and I brought it and, and, and one of my parents, I don't want to throw under the rug which one it was, it was my dad. And so I, um, I showed him, right, my report card and I had, I had, I had four A's and one B. And the first thing out of my parents' mouth was this. What's the deal with the B? And I thought, seriously, do you see these other? Why, why would you do that? And I was like, oh, I will never do that. <laughs> well, of course, you know, when my kids, you know, when they get their report cards now, you know, I mean, there's not A, B, C, D because that's, totally outdated, right? But it's, I don't know, whatever it is, you know. But whenever it's a needs improvement or whatever it's called, you know, that's as I'm looking through, I'm like, "Mm, what is that, young lady, right? It's the first thing that I tend to look at, right? And we cultivate that and we, we, we continue to pour over that and we pass that kind of, that trait on and some of it just comes naturally, right? So one of the things that we can do if we want to cultivate a sense of celebration and joy is when we look out to see not just the things that are negative or missing, but to actually practice looking at things that are good. Sometimes I know for some people it's helpful just to write that down. I'm, I'm going to set my alarm every five, you know, uh, not every five minutes. That might be a little over the top. But, you know, at nine o'clock every morning or whatever else it may be, I'm going to write a few things that I'm thankful for. Whatever those things are, you begin to train your mind. Right, to begin to see the things for which we can give thanks. There's also a sense, it seems to me, when it comes to cultivating celebration that we have to be mindful of. And that's this. That I'm going to suggest congregations or communities that are celebratory tend to be those who do not lose the focus of the importance of seeking after the lost. Seeking after those who don't yet know the love and grace of Jesus or those who have forgotten about that love and grace. Remember, all 
three of the parables that I just said in Luke 15. All three of them. When does the celebration happen? After something has been found. Now here's what's interesting. Is I think a lot of times, especially the longer a church exists, the easier it is for them to begin to have what I'm going to call this false sense that we will be happy, we will be joyful, we will be celebratory when the 99 are taken good care of. When the nine coins are content. When the eldest brother is happy. And of course, you know who the eldest brother is, right? Yeah, that's most of us. We have this sense that if we are content, how can we be happy? How can we? Well, if, if, if we have everything that we want here, and what every one of these stories does is it focuses not on the celebration occurs when that which was once lost has been found. And we far too easily begin to forget that, it seems to me. And so one of the things that we as a church have to do is we have to continually be asking, are we caring, are we seeking after, are we concerned about the lost? Because what happens is we begin to celebrate when we see people's lives who have been changed for Jesus Christ. Yeah, see, the 9 o'clock didn't say amen to that either. So I'm going to say this again. That we will begin to celebrate more than when we are just content. We will celebrate more when we see people who have been lost, who are beginning to be changed for Jesus Christ. And so that's one of the reasons why. why. Why do we talk about great banquet, right? Why do people talk about great banquet? Oh, will they please quit inviting me to great banquet? I understand. I know it can be frustrating. I totally get that. I really do. But I just want, again, I want to help you to understand why. Part of the reason why people do this is A, because their lives have been changed, but B, they have seen other people's lives change. And there is really very little that is as exciting as seeing other people's lives change for Jesus Christ. And so they love that. It's a part of the reason why I'm always talking about how are we doing at loving our neighbor. I know you get tired of it. It's not that I don't realize you do. It's that I don't care. Why? Because of this. We can never be content to live in a neighborhood. We always have to be about how are we loving others because when you do that and you begin to see Jesus work in their lives, there is something that is incredibly exciting about that. It's why as we talk about our own property, I keep saying our primary focus cannot be how is this meeting the needs of the 99? We have to be asking the question, how is our building doing at being hospitable and being inviting to the one? Yesterday, Scott and I and Steve Wright we were having meetings uh, with some Presbyterians in our area. And I want, to, I want you to know this. Most of you know this, but I'm going to say it anyways, which is that it can be kind of depressing because there's so many, there's so many uh, towns in our uh, area here in central Indiana and up to the northeast where they are losing people, right? Population is just leaving. But that's not happening here. Right? Much to some of your chagrin, we keep booming, right? And it's just going to continue but here's what I want you to know. We will be responsible. We will be held responsible if we are so focused on whether or not this place is meeting our needs that we completely lose the reality that there are more and more people who need to know about Jesus who are moving into our community. And when we begin to see those people who begin to join this community and who begin to be shaped more like Jesus, I am here to say we will begin to celebrate even more. 
And so a church that celebrates, cultivating a celebration occurs as we don't forget the one who is lost. Now, one of the other things, it seems to me, and I debated, in fact, at the second service, I really, or first service, I didn't really even bring it up. I just kind of forgot. But I know there will be people who disagree with this, but I'm going to say it anyways, which is that there are times when we, as a people, and this is hard for us, when we at times need to be more extravagant than we are efficient. Now, that's hard for us Midwestern Hoosiers, especially in the church. Some of us are good at celebration. I mean, you see, you know, open houses for graduates, weddings, you extravagance for real. But when it comes to church sometimes, right, we don't, we don't, no, 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 let's not spend time or money doing that. No, that seems way, no, 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 let's be efficient. Let's be pragmatic. And I like that. Please hear me. There is good in that. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But I am saying that it is hard to be celebratory if you've always got your fiscal calendar out. I mean, we spend money on donuts and the all-church brunch and the all-church retreat. Those things come out of our operating budget. And I want you to know I think that is good. Because it helps us to celebrate and to realize that a part of what we do is we celebrate the generosity of God, the extravagance of God. We still give 22.1% of what we give to mission. We still try to be efficient with as much as we can. But we also have to create space and money to celebrate, to be extravagant at times. And that is good and right even if it makes some of us uncomfortable at times. A celebration, we celebrate what the Lord has done. Now, there's a lot of other practices that we can engage in to help cultivate this sense of celebration. But the last one that I want to bring up is one that Richard Foster brings up, which is the reality that one of the ways that we can practice and we can cultivate a spirit of, cele- of celebrating, I keep wanting to say celebrity, not celebrity, of celebrating, is by seeing the way that God works in the lives of those around you and the way in which God is using others to help further the mission in your life and the understanding of who God is in your life. Think about the two of those parables that I mentioned in Luke 15. One of them is about a a woman kind of working around in the house. The other one is about a shepherd, very ordinary people. And yet God uses those ordinary people, not kings, right, Not queens. No, no, no. God uses very ordinary people to say this is, you know, to to represent the work that he is doing. And sometimes we are so busy or we are so forgetful that we forget to see the way that God is using other people in our lives to move us, to change us, to help us to look more like Jesus Christ. Now, further on, just a bit further on when Foster is talking about this, he says, you know what? One of the things that we should do as a part of that is that we should celebrate our pastors more. Now, I, I thought it was smooth. I thought it was good. So now, I, now this is on page 200. I will show you where I'm not making this up. So I thought to myself, I should have Pastor Scott preach this, and he can talk about that. And so I kept thinking about that, and then I was reminded of someone. Of someone who was very low-key. Right? Someone who, 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 who is not loud, but who is incredibly stable. Who is an incredible person of integrity. Who is an incredible servant. 
And as I kept thinking about that person, I was reminded that this year he is celebrating a significant amount of time having been here at ZPC. That person, of course, is Pastor Scott Shelton, who has been here... So Scott has been here since 1862. (laughs) No, but he has been here for 25 years. And Scott didn't know that we were going to do this. He knows now because we did it at 9 o'clock. But we kept it as a surprise because we knew that Scott would never want us to kind of talk about him at all. That he would always want to deflect it because that's who Scott is. But we decided we wanted to do a couple things for Scott. And one of those, and if you're visiting, I understand you don't know Scott, but maybe you'll get a sense of who he is. One of those is to, is to have a video uh, that talks a little bit more about Scott and the difference that God has made in people's lives through his servant leadership. So let's watch that video now. Shelton for 16 of his 25 years at ZPC. I was on the committee to help find him um, and so I've really known him since I was what 14 years old. Scott is like a friend and um, he is the head spiritual director of the Great Banquet and Awakening Communities now. Chris and I 20 plus years ago were building a home in, in the Estridge neighborhood in the Westons and he would invite you to come and do a build, get to know. And the table right behind us was another couple, newlywed couple, um, by the name of Scott and Claire Shelton. When I think of Scott, I kind of think of this gentle giant because he is so tall. Two words kind of come to mind. The first one is steadfast, because Scott is somebody that you can definitely count on. He's there no matter what. And then the other word would be goofy, because he's not afraid to um, be goofy, and he just, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Always willing to dress up for Mickey Party Day for Noah's Ark, uh, for skits, for services. One of my favorite things about Scott is anytime we have an idea, he says, go for it. Let's see what happens. It's really been a fun relationship over the years to go from leadership roles in the youth group that he provided me with to coming into my faith in a deeper way through his teaching and then coming alongside him in ministry has been amazing. Um, Don and I were in the office and we were writing that script and we were thinking about it and Scott happened to walk in. He's like, what are you guys doing? And we told him what we were going to do and he's like, well, who's going to be Mr. Rogers? And we both said, you. And Scott said, okay. But the other memory would have to be the giraffe he played at VBS, because now when I see Animal Kingdom, I somehow think of Scott. Who's a hero in the life of ZPC? 
And one of the very first names, if not the first name that was mentioned was, of course, Scott Shelton. Now, in all honesty, Scott was there as a part of the group and he kept kind of pointing to himself. So we almost had to say his name. What makes that funny, of course, is the fact that Scott would be the last person to ever point to himself. Um, Scott has a remarkable way of being incredibly humble. Uh, when I think of Scott, I think of a servant leader. I think of somebody who approaches situations palms up. There's so many positive qualities that Scott has that, you know, quite frankly, I wish I could emulate more in my own life. He's just inspiring to me. Patient, um, forgiving, grace-filled. Quiet leader. He's such a great guide and so objective and a wonderful listener. I, I mean, I could go on and on. Scott always leads with love. He truly reflects just the calm, peaceful, gentle spirit of Jesus. I love that Scott doesn't take himself too seriously, but that he really takes Jesus seriously. He really is a great teacher and helps us to grow individually, um, and he lives out his faith every day um, in good times and in bad. He is grace-filled. He always leads with an encouragement. Things were hard here um, and people were leaving and Scott was the rock that uh, ZPC leaned on. I respect him so much for that because I really don't think that we would be here as a church where we were without Scott. Claire and I have known each other ever since she was 13 years old and she was in our youth group, our junior high youth group. 25 years ago, we were also on a search committee when ZPC was looking for its first youth pastor. We were bringing in several candidates and Claire and I were doing some interviewing. Scott was flying in from Dallas, Texas and Claire and I vo volunteered to pick him up at the airport. While he was going between meals and meetings, we were driving him around town and showing him all the sights. We also brought him up to Zionsville, hoping that he'd like this little town as he was considering our invitation. So it worked. Scott was our new youth pastor and Claire got an amazing husband. So nobody knew where the trip was that year and they would decorate and surprise everybody. So we waited outside the stairs of the youth hall and just waiting with bated breath to figure out where we were going. And inside was filled with all of this Mexican themed stuff because it was a trip to Mexico and it was just this really fun way to sort of build excitement about caravan. Whoever was the cheesiest couple got a wheel of cheese. And Scott and Claire won. They had just started dating and we saw them sharing a milkshake in an ice cream shop in Middleton, Vermont, and they won the wheel of cheese. I'm going to ask Scott to come forward and 
So Scott, we are so thankful for you and for Claire and for your children and all the difference that you have made. Now, a lot of times, you, you know, Scott's not going anywhere, right? That's right. But one of, the things, one of the things that's pointed out is sometimes we wait until the very end. We wait until someone's retiring or they're leaving or, quite frankly, until they have passed away to celebrate what they have done. And that's why we wanted to be able to have this time while Scott's still here and going to be here um, to be able to be thankful for the way that God has used both of you and your children over the last quarter of a century. And so for that, we want to say thank you, Scott. Thank you. Um, now, we did have a card and a gift, but we gave those to you. You didn't lose it, did you? I did you? not lose okay, it. Okay, good. I have it. All right. So he does. I won't give it to him again. You know uh, he received that. But um, did you want to say anything? You don't have to. Uh, just, well, first of all, I couldn't believe they did this. Total surprise at, at the night. I was like, how'd you film all that? But thank you so much. Uh, I am um, as much grateful to each of you as, as you've been to me on this day. I'm so, so thankful to be here. I always look forward to being here. I look forward to being here on Sunday mornings with you and all the other times. It's been a true blessing. Thanks, Good. Jerry. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Scott and Claire. You can go down. You'll have to come back up here in a minute. But. Thank you. Sisters and brothers, we can cultivate a sense of celebration. So here's the homework that you have. Two bits of homework. One is Scott's going to be down here after the service. I invite you to come down. Claire, if you'd like to come down here, you can. I won't make you. But if you want to, uh, come down here and, and come and, and thank him. There is in the gym, there is cake. Uh, if you want celebratory cake, don't leave yet. But um, um, you, can, you can go in the gym. I invite you to do that as well. And then secondly, here's my encouragement to you. Find someone. Think about someone who, for whom, through whom God has worked to change your life, to make you look more like Jesus. Find somebody, think about who that person is, and then celebrate that person. And don't celebrate that person efficiently. Celebrate that person extravagantly. I don't know what your budget is. For some of you, maybe you take them to Taco Bell. For other, maybe you take them to Ruth's Chris, right? Or maybe you do something else. Whatever it is, find someone who has changed your life, who has shaped you more like Jesus, and celebrate them with extravagance. Knowing that in so doing, will you also be caught up in this reminder of what God has done. So think about that person this week and 